Welcome to the Republican Professor. This afternoon, we have an incredibly special guest, special set of guests here. Actually, I guess it's just one because a married couple is just one thing. We have our first two people coming on that's a couple, and that is Abby and Michael Clark, missionaries in the incredibly dangerous jungles of you guys all know about elizabeth elliott right okay if you don't know who that is we have some democrats that are listening they don't know who elizabeth elliott is but just just look up elizabeth elliott her husband was killed on the mission field but these people are in even more dangerous jungles they are in a place that I let me see if I can pronounce it. California. California. Did I say it right? A little bit, a little bit off. California. There are missionaries in California. And yes, California needs missionaries. Thank you for being here. Clarks. It could be California. <laughs> yeah. Depends how you look at it. That was Michael, in case you can't tell the difference. That that's Michael and then Abby. And for those of you listening, Abby, I'll describe Abby. She has uh bright uh blonde hair, a, a gleaming smile, as always, just a gleaming person, exuding joy. Michael, on the other hand, is a buff dude he's got this awesome haircut he is athletic and he looks like he will probably never get old ever like he'll probably look like that when he's 140 same look and uh you guys actually never have changed appearance since i've known you and i've known you for 20 years so i feel um, the same about you with this you look the same it might be because i'm wearing the shirt <laughs> and this shirt I had on at my birthday in 2007 at downtown Disney. And you guys were there because we have pictures. And so I'm wearing the same shirt. And the reason I'm wearing the shirt is in honor of you. It's my California shirt. It's a multicolor uh, Joseph of many colors, co uh, shirt of many colors. And um, it still works. So that's why I haven't thrown it away. It's because that's my. It never goes out of style. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, still works. So why would I throw it away? But anyway, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. What a treat. So for everybody else, I mean, I know your backstory, but everybody else, what in the world, how in the world did you become a missionary in California? And to get that answer, how did you get interested in missions in the first place? What's the story behind that? Where are you from? Uh, well, that maybe you want to share kind of how we met. Well, I had an awesome youth pastor. And he would let me stand outside and talk to the skateboarders at youth group night. The state what? Skateboard kids. Oh, the skateboarders. Okay. So I would invite them in and I think just in high school, seeing God change people's lives is where 
I got really excited about sharing my faith and seeing radical transformations in people. And I decided that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I didn't know how, how that would look, but from when I, when I was 16, I was like, I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm going to tell people about Jesus wherever I go. And then graduated high school and met Michael. How many friends did you have? <laughs> a lot of friends. You had a lot of friends. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. were you born in a, you guys are, are you guys, you guys are Muslims, right? We're what? Muslims. Muslims. You were mm-hmm. born, you grew up in a Muslim area, right? No. No, you're well, not Muslim. I grew up in Tennessee and I grew up in South Carolina and Florida. Oh. And I'm gonna have uh, to fire my producer. I thought uh, he had you guys were Muslims. I think that's the wrong, guys. Okay, hold on. You're not Muslim. What not are you? Muslim. You're Buddhist. We are not Buddhist. We're born again Christians. Born again followers of Jesus. Born again Christians. Okay. C R I. I'll look it up later. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'm tracking with you. Born so, again. 2000, she goes down to Hilton Head, South Carolina from Tennessee. I am playing pro beach volleyball at the time. I was on a boat trip from Florida to Virginia. I, uh, I stopped off in Hilton Head, South Carolina, where she was working for the summer. And we met that at that time and uh, talked about the Lord. And it wasn't uh, kind of a romantic thing, but really connected in the Lord. I had lots of pastors at that time, time time to marry me off. And I just thought for the first time, Hey, here's a girl who's serious about God, who doesn't think I'm going to be Jesus and uh, fill that hole in her heart. And uh, we went on our, on our way, we separated, she went on and I went back to Florida. Uh, That was in 2000. Um, We, Kept in contact. What's, uh, what's the age difference between you? Almost six years, five and a half years. So she's 18. I'm 23 at the time. Um, I went on back to Pro Beach Volleyball hedonistic world as a follower of Jesus. And she went on to the University of Tennessee. And uh, we kept each in contact with each other periodically over the next 18 months for uh, five different times. And were you writing letters? What were you doing? Letters. Letters, you, phone calls. Like mail? Mm-hmm. Like through the mail? Like, yeah, we did email. Too. Email. That was kind of new at the time. And then we visited each other about five times before we were engaged. So let me. Well, that's uh, okay. So you were really a pro beach volleyball player. Yes, sir. I uh, started playing uh, competitively in tournaments at 16. Uh, Started. I won my first open at 16, and uh, I started walking with the Lord when I was 20. You know, as a pro beach volleyball player, when you're young, everything's handed to you with the sponsors and all that stuff. But at 20, I became a follower of Jesus. 
and then I became the guy out on the pro beach volleyball tour with all the rock star stuff that goes on out there with my guys coming in at three in the morning, uh, getting ready to play on center court at 9 a.m. And I would have them out there praying with me and they said, hey, you became religious. No, I don't do religion. I just talking about a relationship with Jesus. So, yeah, I, I. How did you become a Christian then? That's a pretty interesting question, right? Because, um, I mean, when I was five years old, I gave my life to Christ at my grandfather's church. But I don't know that I knew exactly what it meant to follow God. I wasn't in church from 12 to 20. No Bible, none of that. So when I started serving the Lord at 20, it was really God showed up to me and said, hey, I have plans for you. And my life was good. I didn't. I wasn't on drugs or on the street or any of that stuff. But I just knew there was more than just uh, all you can see or what the world tells you is of great value. And so I had one friend who was a Christian, and I said, hey, I need a Bible. So I started reading the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, uh, within about six months. And then I, I knew that was the truth. Uh, so I guess that kind of gets into the question of did God pursue me or did I pursue him? I don't know. But were you a reader? Were you like a voracious reader? So you were reading all sorts of books and then you just added oh. the Bible to it? or I never read. You never read anything? Never read. So you were a jock. <laughs> totally you're a total jock and then you get someone gives you this ancient thick book and then you're like yeah i'll read this how did you yeah. get into reading that well i just i didn't know anything about the bible per se i mean i i knew john three sixteen because everyone has the poster board up in the end zone and football but so I started in Genesis and figured this is the front of the book. We might as well start there and we'll just read to the back. And uh, that's what I did. I read Genesis Revelation over a six-month period all by myself. And and God kept revealing himself to me over and over. And uh, When we met, we were both reading Acts at the same time. And we were in the same book of the Bible when we met. That's kind of a neat story. And so he kind of started mentoring me in the Bible. And that's really what our friendship was based on was um, I would call him from college and tell him all the people I was meeting and, you know, he would pray for me and just tell me, you know, certain verses to encourage me to how to, to, to encourage these other people. And we had um, just a really equally yoked friendship. We were just very on the same page and learning the same things about God, but through totally different circumstances. Because I was a mountain girl in college. He's over down at the beach in Florida. It's snowing where I am. I'm eating ice cream in my dorm room and he's down there. You know, it's 85 degrees and he's playing a game, beach volleyball. I have no idea what that is. I don't know what, I've never seen it. <laughs> so I had to learn that, that world when we got married, but so this is right before September 11th hits is um, kind of when we, we met that summer before then. And then, yeah, before we get married, the summer of 2001, I go to Fiji with Athletes in Action. Well, hold on a second. 
you you had this just friendship and you're talking about the bible and the next thing you know you said marriage yeah so how did that work mm-hmm. was, was that you know at what point did you know eh, we're not just friends yeah it was probably that summer of 2001 when we left each other when we left she went to australia and i went to fiji separately she went with the international mission board and i went with athletes in action to fiji and then uh i think it was that summer where we both just felt like hey the lord has us do more together than apart this is my partner like this is my teammate you know and then of course the romance all came later but we were just great friends and and he was like my teacher and i just felt so encouraged being around him and then I just couldn't get enough (laughs) so like the only way to be together is if he moves up and gets me you know so he left Florida bought a one-way ticket and came and asked my parents to marry me and they said yes which was a miracle because they wanted me to finish college before I got married and I was only half in at this point Mm-hmm. And my mom just describes it as she just had like a veil over her eyes, like God was moving and we were all just like, wow, this is Abby's husband. And they just remember saying, yes, we know that you're the one for her. And looking back, she's just like, Abby, I, I have no idea why I let you marry someone that we didn't even know <laughs> other than, you know, God gave her peace about it. And yeah, so. Now, Michael, did you threaten them in any way? Did you? because uh, you're a large man you're like what six three something like that did you did you did you have to resort to threats or did well, you well you know <laughs> i thought about it but her dad's six six so he's oh, whoa uh, he's, he's a, probably he's armed too. So i don't know if uh that would have worked out he has favor. lots of guns he yeah. has guns in tennessee really i know can you imagine um Abby, did you ever finish at uh, the University of Tennessee? Nope. I told nope. my mom I would not finish there the first day I went. Okay, hold on. Say that cl- a little clearer because I could see you shaking your head, but people in audio might not pick that up. Did you say no? I said no. Okay. The first day I started school there, I told my parents I would not graduate from there. Oh. So, Because I knew God was going to do something different with my life. And I was being obedient and going to school there, but um, I wanted to study missions. So Hmm. I was going there until God told me the next step. So yeah, sure enough, a year and a half later, we, we were married and what year was that? 2001 at the very end. 2001. Okay. You're married in 2001. Yes. And we were married for a year until we came to Viola. All right. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Any regrets? Would you do it over again? That same, just so far, I'm not saying we haven't gotten to Biola yet, but yes. any regrets? Mm-hmm. You guys happy? Oh, yeah. No regrets. No, never. no regrets. Not one no. day. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So it's 2001. You're you're officially married. What's what's the next step? So 2002, was it 2002? Mm-hmm. We were like, okay, well, her parents wanted her to finish college. 
I had a few years of college done in Florida. And I said, I know God's calling us to ministry of some sort, but what does that look like? We don't know. I don't know Christian higher education. I don't know any of that because I was in the world. And um, a pastor friend of, of her parents uh, had just graduated from Talbot and we met him. He had just moved there and become the pastor of her parents' uh, uh, SBC church, pretty large church in Morristown, Tennessee. And uh, we get to talking to him and, and he tells us about Biola. Well, we, no one knows of Biola. There's no, uh, on the East Coast, no one knows that. that I, I don't know what it is. So we look it up. We didn't know it stood for the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But we look it up and we look at all these Christian schools and uh, all around. But it was the only one that said, hey, you know, we're going to train you up in mining character to impact the world for Jesus. Integrating your faith in your vocation. There were lots that were out there that were, I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to be a nurse, or I'm going to be a business person and Christian principles, but very few have said, hey, I'm going to, you should do that together. And that resonated with us that I don't see that God is separate in whatever you do. And so we applied, not ever visiting Biola, never seen that place, we don't know where it is. And uh, we said, it's kind of our fleece to say, Lord, if we are accepted into here, then we'll just know. And um, we get accepted in Biola. And then uh, that year, uh, we started sending out support letters, raised support, actually, to go to Biola our first couple of years. I did not know that. And um, even three days before we left, we needed $1,500 for the moving truck. We had already given up our, our notice for our apartment. We had no jobs. We just, God was just doing it, opening doors, but we still needed this money. And so we were praying and this lady came up to Michael at, at his job. Uh, she was actually not a Christian. And she said, I'm supposed to give you this envelope. And it was $1,500 three days before we left. And it was the exact amount for our moving truck. Wait, so this is in, it's not in pesos. Not in pesos. Okay. Yeah, a lot of pesos. It was in real. I mean, was it monopoly money? Did you double check? It paid. It paid the moving. It paid truck. for they that moving it. truck. Our wow. truck, like the yeah. Clampets, one way. We're going. <laughs> it was a rainy day, and we left everything I've ever known, and drove away, and never went back. <laughs> Which is pretty funny because. You know, this morning I, I taught with the guys on James 2, your faith of that works is dead. You know, we all say, oh, trust God, we go for it or not. And so that was our beginning of like, let's go for it as a couple mm. and trust God. And uh, we showed up at Biola and uh, we walk into our first class, Dr. Wayne Flory. Mm. He was a chaplain during the Korean War, you know. He's on that third. I remember that name. I can't. There's. Oh, man. I don't remember what he looked like. But is this in the mission building there in Biola? No, he, no. this was actually a Bible class, mm -hmm. and uh, our oh, first okay. class walk in, and he starts singing a hymn, oh, and we thought, we were just "Where are we? They're singing a hymn in a college <laughs> class. What is going on here?" I had just come from classes at the University of Tennessee, where it was like 400 students, and I was like. 
middle to the back and this professor comes in he's like I don't give a f what you do and f and f and f and you're gonna fail this class and I was just like oh my goodness oh my goodness and then get to violin the guy singing him we're like what is this school Dr. Flory he was so cool it like, was amazing okay here's the guy who had to walk across the 39th parallel with no firearms trusting God and lead his guys across there you know and, have, oh, he didn't have a gun because he was a chaplain? Yeah. I would have carried a gun. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing teacher. He was our intro to Biola. Yeah. Biola and, was uh, an the, awesome experience for us 20 years ago under Clyde Cook, who was a Clyde Cook, yeah. Amazing man of God, as you know. Yeah. So that kind of led us there. We did uh Two and a half years of undergrad, finished our bachelor's in intercultural studies, and then went on and did our graduate program there, master's in intercultural studies also. That's where we met you. That's right. That's right. This I have, looking I, I have uh, many fond memories of standing in the parking lot, talking late at night, or yeah. getting coffee. And bumping into you guys anywhere and just chatting for 10, 15 minutes about whatever. Or coming um, into our intercultural studies classes. Yeah, that's right. I did I did pop in there. Realizing that uh this is the next step of theological training. You actually can eat food with people and break yeah. bread and right. connect with other people. What would you what did what would you say you took away from your time at Biola academically? Mm. Oh, strictly academic. Yeah, just from an I mean, we get to other stuff later. But I think academically, uh, kind of that that love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength really put all you can into that like trusting God throughout your, your studies is part of how to be a thinking Christian, how to, mm -hmm. and how to relay that to a non-believing world. Any regrets about going to Biola? Never. Never. It was amazing. So Both far, no, no regrets. No regrets. <laughs> awesome. So you graduate from Biola. You're trained academically how to be a thinking Christian. And now, what are you thinking you want to do with your life at this point? Well, we, during college, we would always go down to the Huntington Beach Pier to play beach volleyball. That was what we did, you know, to get out of the bubble. They call it the bubble at Biola, you know, and to get out in the world with other people instead of just Christians. And they say the F word, though, at, in Huntington Beach. Oh, yes. Lots of words there. That, that didn't scare you away. They didn't. You know, it was really a big culture shock for me moving here, for sure. And I was very intimidated by the players that we met. He was not. So I had to grow a lot in that area of being around people that they called me his girlfriend for like 10 years down there. And 
you know, they just couldn't get over the fact that we were married. So they would say, is your girlfriend coming? And we're like, I'm the wife, you know, but they don't get married, you know, as much in that realm, you know, sports realm is just fast life and pagans. Well, yeah. You just live a little different. So, well, I mean, marriage is kind of like a basic thing in human existence. It's, it's been around for a really long time. And I don't know why people would have such an issue with it, but that's interesting. Uh, so just being married, yeah. You guys were different. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. the fact that you're married. Yeah. And people wonder why I make such a big deal about the mm -hmm. definition of marriage. Well, mm -hmm. you're already different mm -hmm. right there. Boom. The yeah. issue of marriage. Uh, did so being married to you, uh, to each other. Well, to yeah, marriage is just a you and yourself um, being married to each other. Did that strengthen you guys? And when you're there at the beach, do you feel like something tugging at you there at the beach? Well, I think we always like lean on each other for certain things, but I think to a watching world, when you're married, it shows that you know who you are, what you believe, where you're going, enough to make a commitment to another person that you're going to be steadfast with that person. You know what you want out of life. And so that's a big deal to someone who's... That was really deep what you just said. <laughs> I kind of want you to say it again, if you can. When you're married, you, you listed some things. You said, you kind of well, know who you are, what, you know. It led yeah. up to commitment. Do you remember what even you said? thinking of like, it's the same now, even as we show up in the sports world, married with four children, we stand out because we've been making decisions over and over and over again for years and years that show that we're going in a direction that shows we, we know what we want out of life. We know our purpose in life and it's a big commitment. So you have to have a lot of things lined up in order to get to that place of marriage. And then, yeah. So I think it just shows maybe more stability or purpose or, and that, and that's daunting for people that are like, I don't know what I want. How could you ever get married? That's so permanent. It's like, well, you have tattoos. So, you know, you obviously have some permanent <laughs> decisions yeah. that you make. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. That's really uh, insightful. Abby. Yeah, that's, that's, this is already an unexpected interview. And I, I've known you guys for 20 years. And I think that was very deep what you just said. You're showing just being married. Gosh, I, I would have never predicted that. Being married at the beach. And you have this little tug for California at this point, I'm guessing. You, are people are getting the sense that you know who you are you have a purpose you're able to make a commitment you take you have you take life seriously doesn't necessarily mean you're rich richer than everybody else financially no. right no. but that i'm students in yeah. fact it might be the other way around it might be the single people have more money right mm -hmm. uh but uh 
but you are stable mm-hmm. in a way that they're not. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. And, and offensive to some people too. Uh, did you say offensive? Yes. What's offensive yeah. about that? Um, I think it brings conviction to people, you know, because it, it, it reveals. It's just God's design and order. Even if a person who doesn't know God, they understand that there's an order, even if they can't articulate it or they know no Bible, that this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people stop us on a weekly basis out in public just by being a family and we just had someone tell us uh, our actually our pastor who's in Singapore him and his wife they said to us you have a ministry of being we're so countercultural just by having children and having a loving marriage we're not perfect but a man that leads his home a wife that follows most of the time and kids that love their parents it's so rare we actually like to be together we um, do ministry together and we have strangers walk up to us and say we've been watching your children and how they play together and how they help each other and we're just amazed at your children and we're just like oh you know to us it's normal we're like you better help your sister get a snack you know but they've they've learned how to do that because we're playing volleyball or we're doing something at the moment and they have to help one another and okay i think we we got to back up a bit because okay. what happened was uh you had just graduated from biola <laughs> yeah. and you wow. went to the beach and you oh. were intimidated at the beach right 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 and then all of a sudden you're having a realization that you're different just from being married. Mm -hmm. And then like, uh, probably like 20 seconds later, you had four kids and then (laughs) people are coming up and strangers are coming up. And so, so get a sense of, I I happen to know this because I know you, but Mm -hmm. you guys are at the beach a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to sound like Donald Trump. You guys are at the beach a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, but, uh, you have i'm trying to get a sense of why the beach mm-hmm. is it just like it's are you drawn there for the reasons everybody else is drawn there because there's a lot of people at the beach mm-hmm. but not a lot of people that are at the beach for why you're at the beach and right. so that's interesting and you go there a lot and you seem to be drawn to it mm-hmm what's what's behind that is it the lord's leading or how would you characterize that is it just you just enjoy it we do love the beach but i think uh a couple of those things um yes the lord leads you there because he puts desires in your heart to enjoy certain things um not believer or non-believer alike they'll go to the beach or the mountains because they want to there's a sense of God out in, in creation. So whether you're in the mountains or the ocean, the beach area, there's an awe that's there, even if you can't articulate that God is creating that. So you're naturally going to be more inspired by natural beauties 
so you want to go where you might not get that same thing in a concrete setting so some people go to the mountains some people go to the beaches we go to the beaches so we like the beach in that sense but on the other sense we also know who created the beach mm -hmm. and so we i think the christian should enjoy all parts of life even more because you know who created it all and so that is our kind of natural environment um well we love meeting people there's lots of opportunity to meet people we love playing sports with people it's a great way to connect joke around show them that being a christian is fun we actually don't cheat when we play so if you're like oh i touched the net you can have the ball they're like okay you know <laughs> they're not used to people telling the truth so then that makes you stand out you don't curse at your spouse or your teammate and uh oh, I lost your sound. I was going to say, I just said you curse at other people, though, right? No. Oh, okay. That joke is now old. So it was supposed to be like 20 seconds ago. So I was on mute, though. <laughs> so you're different. You stand out. You got a family. You take each other seriously enough to say your vows and make a promise to each other before God. Marriage also implies something about God, I think. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, at least in our culture. I know a lot of people don't say vows in front of God. At least they don't think they are, but they are regardless. But they don't even reflect on what a vow is, like mm -hmm. an oath. What does it mean to make an oath or a promise? Like we do it in court. That's right. You know? Um there's still God save the United States. I think it's in front of the, you know, up in front of the United States Supreme court. Mm -hmm. Congress still has a chaplain. Um, there's all these remnants of this understanding of what a, an oath is when you, when you, when you swear, well, what's the point of that? What's the point of doing that? Just, and I don't mean swearing, like saying the F word. I mean, you're promising something. You know, why, why can't you just start talking in court and people just assume that you're telling the truth? Well, it used to be that people were afraid of what God would think. And then they, when they, when you say, I will tell the truth, so help me God. And you're invoking God. That's mm -hmm. a very serious thing. That's more serious than just shooting the bull. But now if you don't believe in God, what's the point of taking an oath? Who are you taking an oath to the same people you would be lying to they're right in front of you the judges the jury the prosecutor the or where maybe it's a other you know, the other person on the other side if it's a civil case so the when you're taking an oath of marriage why are you doing that are you just promising the other person that would be the very same person that you violate the oath to Mm -hmm. later so what's the point of that the point was you say it to a third party god who sees everything and has your ultimate destiny in mind mm -hmm. and i think all of that background is there on the beach with you guys initially just you guys then later your kids 
we'll get to them in a second. Um, you guys have four kids, right? Mm-hmm. Four Maybe. kids. Yeah. So it's just initially you guys. And I think that people can pick up on all of that mm-hmm. with a married couple, like mm-hmm. in your context that might, might be wrong about that. But to me, I feel like you guys have a spiritual I was going to say heaviness to you, but that's not the right word. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, because I've had some of the best times I've ever had with you guys, like just talking and laughing and having fun. You guys are very lighthearted people, but, uh, there's, um, there's a weight to how you see your life in California. You guys are definitely totally normal people in the sense that you're married, marriage is normal. You have kids. That's normal. You like going to the beach. That's normal. I like sports. That's normal. Don't cuss. That's actually pretty normal too. I mean, it was like, that's how TV was for decades now. Not so much, but radio, you don't cuss on radio. That's pretty normal. You know, you basically normal people, but you're so abnormal in California. And that's the, interesting thing about you guys because the world is so screwed up all you have to do is show up and it's like obvious it becomes obvious how screwed up things are i don't want to put too much words in your mouth but what do you think about what i just said yeah i think you i think we agree actually um so the idea is yeah we want to reach people for the lord but you know we're just trying to be available and let god use us how he may mm-hmm. and uh and you've known us for a long time and we've always lived missionally but this is the first time we are formally missionaries with an organization so what's that organization uh mission enablers international How did you guys get hooked up with that organization? Um, so 2020, we were, we were here. We were uh, a house that we were leasing in Huntington Beach. Um, the owner passed away, so we were in between housing, getting ready to move. The country is shutting down. I was coaching volleyball. Uh, they didn't renew my contract at that time. And uh, we felt like, okay, we have to leave. We really felt like the Lord said, have to go leave. So we went back to Tennessee with her parents, not knowing what was going on in the world. And uh, we just kept feeling the burden of like, hey, we belong in Southern California. God's called us here. And we were really wrestling like, okay, um, what do we do? Where do we go? What is, what is happening right now? And a friend of ours said, hey, you guys are already missionaries. You guys need a race support and you need a team of supporters because you, you, you just need that. And at first we said no. And uh, why, why did you say no? Uh, I think probably initially was the two things. One was probably our pride, probably our fear of man. Like, do I want to race support? Do I want to say, hey, we're going back as missionaries? 
am I interested in that? You know, part of that's the American Protestant kind of work thing, you know. But we prayed about it, and eventually we got to the place where we said, yep, this is exactly what we need. We've done it in the past alone, but now we need to go back with the team. And uh, a friend of ours who is an evangelist, who is a skateboarder, was a pro skateboarder, he's with Mission Enablers. He was the guy who skated with Tony Hawk and all those guys. Um, anyway, um, and then her, her sister and brother-in-law were with Mission Enablers. And so they are an organization that supports ministry of people who've been in ministry who do work that's out of the box. We're not digging wells. We're not um, planting churches. But we work within kind of the giftings of what God's made us to do. And then they have their processes. We, go, we went through with them. And, and um, so eventually we were accepted with them in 2020, July of 2020, in the middle of the shutdowns. And uh, we started support raising. And we were in more houses and more churches in between 2020 and 2021 than our whole life. Our family was on 18 different flights that year. All six of us um, came back to California six times. And, um, and finally, at the end, you know, the Lord just made it clear it was time for us to return. When out, everyone were fleeing California, even in, in the Tennessee, I spoke at, we spoke at a church in a marriage uh, event. And... Um, 95% of the people at that church were brand new to the church from California. And we spoke to that pastor and he said, I got 300 new families in my church from California. And um, I said, well, if you want to know what it's going to look like soon, we can kind of give you the back to the future glimpse. No kidding. And uh, what town was that in? That was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, anyway, so, and the Christians that we met there said, hey, you must be really called to California because we're all leaving and you're trying to go back. And, uh, and, and so we heard the gamut of that. Are you crazy? You have your children. Why would you want to take your kids there? It's so There's so many things. And I said, well, it's God expensive. loves those people too. And uh, we, we feel called to the front line of, of the nation. So we're going back. And uh, so we returned last in the May, so almost a year now. Yeah, we so have. People, go ahead. We had an amazing story happen where we couldn't find housing, and God just threw open a door. On our last trip, we met a family that was moving out of state, and they offered us to rent their home, which is the house we're in now. And one of our supporter families. Our new supporter families. So, so now we're back and we've been here for a year. And this year has been like a culmination of all the training, all the gifting, all the, the availability now. We're full-time able to be out in the community with people. And so Michael's doing um, volleyball discipleship training with high-level players who are hungry for the Lord. He's training them 
in the word and then in an outreach of evangelism. So the Monday, Wednesday group is for more of the Christians and then the outreach days are on, on Fridays. So they have non-Christians coming to play and they always have a gospel presentation or devotion on Friday. So you can talk more about that. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about right now. <laughs> yeah, say more about that. How many people are involved with this? What beach is it on? How long does it last? What, what time do you get there? What time do you leave? Stuff like that. Yeah. So right now, uh, it started last fall. It started with a couple of guys, invite word of mouth, at least at the high level. These are all like on the cusp, pro-level guys. Uh, what are their fall. ages? The young 20s. These are all young 20 guys, 20s. Um, so in the beginning, we had three or four guys gather, and uh, and we open the Bible every time. And uh, This and is the Monday-Wednesday thing? Monday-Wednesday. Actually, we open the Bible every time, Monday-Wednesday-Friday, but Friday yeah. is for open to anyone, but Monday-Wednesday is for believers only because the idea is to train up the believers so they can go out and use their, their gifts and talents to spread the gospel. What time do you get there? What time do you get there? And what, what beach is it on? Uh, we go Monday, Wednesday at eight 30 to 10 30 at the great park in Irvine. And then on Fridays, we rotate different beaches from San committee to Manhattan beach. You said Fridays at different beaches. Yeah. Okay. Is there an announcement about which beach you'll be at that day? Yeah, it's kind of a uh, on the on the thread. You guys get on a text thread, and we kind of let everybody know, hey, we're going to be here. We're going to be on this beach. Invite your friends, and that way it's more well, it's more culturally appropriate for beach volleyball players. Anyway, it's kind of grassroots. Like send out the word, we'll be there. And then it kind of spreads, at least at the high level, you know, kind of these pro level kids. That's what they do. You know, they don't, they don't mail, they don't mail stuff in the, in the post office. There's no like, Hey, here's a public announcement. You get it on Saturday. I was like, Oh, I guess it was on Manhattan beach yesterday. Okay. Well, yeah, it's just office. a text and uh, dang post office. You're invited. That way it's more relational. Yeah. Yeah. So Monday, Wednesdays are at eight thirty AM. Did you say? 8.30 a.m. So this morning we went at 6 a.m. Really? Yeah. Wow. This is dedication from these guys then. Or do they normally get there that early? Well, that's the thing is. Is it a heat uh, issue? Dedication from them. Uh, yeah. We don't normally get there at 6 a.m. But uh, this was our first one we did at 6 a.m. Because uh, I had some things to do today. But I said, hey, would you guys mind to go at 6 a.m.? And I, they said, yeah. And. And uh, they love the 6 a.m. time. And I do, I do the Bible. I do the workouts, run the workouts for them. And I actually do the workouts with them because if I'm going to lead them, I got to do the same workouts that they do. Of course, they jump much higher and run much faster than me. But I still want to be leading by example and doing that stuff with them and get a workout in the sand with them. That's nice. So can you walk us through what that is? and? I'd like to know what your day is Monday, Wednesday. What time do you get up? Do you have coffee? Do you mm -hmm. listen to classical music? Do you, are you listening to talk radio? 
getting all angry about politics, you know, getting revved up for the, for the time with the Lord. (laughs) And, um, you know, do you have a mask on while you're brushing your teeth? Help, help people understand. Yeah. Uh, Do you have breakfast? If so, what is it? And when do you eat if you don't eat breakfast? Stuff like that. Okay. So typically it's somewhere, get up between five and six and coffee's brewing super strong. And, uh, and then there's some time in the word or a lot of days. So I turn on different sermons to start the day. And um, usually it's just her and I up before the kids. So we'll have some time together and then we'll have some separate kind of prayer time, Bible writing, you know, journal time. And then I. No food. You've only mentioned coffee, no food, no, no food. No. Uh, Once in a while we'll have food, but generally I don't eat breakfast. Um. But a lot of coffee and a lot of water. Okay. So you have coffee and water. Do you put anything in the coffee? Mm-hmm. What yeah. Do you put in it? What do you put in it? Uh, well, there's a, I don't know if you can put a plug in, but Laird Superfood Creamer, that coconut creamer they have right now at Costco is really good. We uh, gave up our creamer in our lobby. No sugar. Yeah. Okay. But. And then, so aren't you hungry when you wake up, or what? What's that like? Do you, like? If no. you're not hungry, then I guess that that's the end of the conversation. But like, <laughs> so you're like, no, I don't. It it to me, it's as odd as someone wakes up, and I say, do you go to the bathroom? Do you pee? And they say, nope, no pee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we both we. It's like well. Okay, so you're just holding it. Like, is this is this a like? Is this because you're generally? I don't, don't like hungry. You don't have to go. Okay. And uh, so you just have have you trained yourself on purpose not to be hungry in the morning, or is it just how you've know. always been? It's. I think maybe early in my early days of competing so long that like you're getting ready to compete, so you're. Just, used to not eating in the morning i don't know if that's the case i don't know and, for you know, me if i have anything carb the night before i'll be hungrier in the morning but if i eat like you know empty carbs but if i eat you know lots of protein and vegetables i'm not hungry in the morning anymore i used to wake up hungry all the time maybe that's age who knows but i felt like i've never really eaten breakfast and i like to work out with food in my stomach yeah. all right okay just checking so you 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 do this and this process takes a while and what happens after that uh generally i put together uh the devotion time for the guys and then put together a practice plan and um then go meet for a few hours with them on those days mm-hmm. and uh Usually at the end of that, so that's where we get to the issues that guys are having. A couple of them are married. We have a couple of non-believers that are showing up, and we get to those things there. And so there's usually, usually every time I'm like an hour later. So she's waiting on him. He says I'll be home at eleven, and I say see you at noon. So. Gotcha. 
And it's, uh, it's the same issue that missionaries in Borneo have. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, uh, are you now, what time are you, what kind of workout are you doing? Are you doing sprints, push-ups, sit-ups? All of that. Yeah. All of that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, most times it's, it has to do with the ball. So you're working out with the ball. I mean, you're doing passing and setting and hitting all that stuff, but, uh, usually it's a, it goes, we go a hundred minutes without stopping. You kind of get two four minute breaks and you go at a really high pace and, and, and you're on the sand and you're so on the sand. So it's really hard. Your, your joints are happy, but you're sucking wind. <laughs> now is this, this park in Irvine, is this a volleyball court sand? Yeah. There's mm -hmm. five really nice sand volleyball courts at the great park in Irvine. Uh, and it's open to the public. And so no one's there at the hours we're there. So we're on those courts. And um, that was really God's provision because we didn't even know they existed before we moved here. And How far away is that from where you live? Maybe 10 minutes. Driving? Driving, yeah. Okay. So you've never had to like beat anybody up to get off the court? Like just, well, no, per se, but we had shown up and people have gone there for like during college season. Sometimes the college teams will use those courts and we just had to change our location, but generally they're open. And so you're not, you don't do the whole Joshua thing where you yeah, move in and take the court. Well, we could, but uh, Bible jokes for those. We might not be open to Jesus after we do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. Well, Joshua was in the Bible. Just I know. Um, okay. So uh, you do this Monday, Wednesday. What's your group up to now? Is it still three to four guys? Now we are anywhere between eight and 16. Depends on the day. That's a lot of people and a lot of stories to keep up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If people have problems. And you're, yeah. So you're basically doing a pastoral kind of a thing yeah um what about tuesday thursdays you haven't mentioned anything about that what are those mornings like it just depends on when it is but those mornings was thursday mornings tuesday mornings are usually family days mm -hmm. so. like tuesday is the new saturday for us so we're out a lot on the weekends with people so gotcha. because we homeschool which i don't think we've talked about that yet we can be off you homeschool yes <laughs> you don't trust the public schools in california with your precious children mm. <laughs> oh, okay all right well you could but you might not get good return on your investment or you might yeah. not get grants so okay so you're homeschooling them so that's probably taken up so thursdays are involved with that too well every day is taken up with homeschooling because it's all learning it's a right you know, and what are the ages of your kid and how many kids do you have so we have a six-year-old a girl nine-year-old boy 11 year old girl and 13 year old girl so you have a handful mm-hmm how many years ago was your 13 year old born? 
So she was a preemie, so she was born. Remember that, Lucas? Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that very well. Two thousand eight, yeah. October second, two thousand eight, at thirty-two weeks. Thirty-two weeks. Three wow. pounds. Yeah. She was a three pounder. Three pounds. You hear that, people? Here's a little puzzle for you. Who's older? Kate is born October second at thirty-two weeks. I'm just going to make up a name. What's a good name? Bob. No, that's that's too ancient Near East. Uh, something more American. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is born October 3rd. Who's older? Melchizedek, let me add, is, is uh, born right on time. Melchizedek is born after Kate. But he's older than Kate. This is this is what the pro-choicers don't get. Yeah, man, when I say this in class, they're just like, "Oh, uh, wait, I think uh, no, Kate is Kate is older." What do you mean by older? Means that you've been around longer. If I say this building is older than that building, it means you start from the time it began. Mm. Like that's when you start counting. Kate has been along around. For 32 weeks. But Melchizedek over there is 40 weeks, right? That's full term, 40 weeks. And doesn't that help explain the fact that Melchizedek, what's a what's a big baby? Like 25 pounds? Like nine. Nine pounds. Okay. 25. I I like making my little laugh. Melchizedek is a big boy. He's a he's a nine-pound baby. But that's because he's right on time. But Kate is three pounds. So she would have gained, what, at least a few pounds in two yeah, months. probably five, at least four or five pounds by the time she would have been born, seven or eight yeah. pounds. So you guys have four kids and you're homeschooling them. That's a full-time job right there. What about uh, your afternoons and evenings? What do you do? And then I want to get to your weekends and I want to get to... Friday's discipleship or outreach too. This is different every day. It's different every day? Every day. There's new people every day. I mean, I don't, I could never tell you a rhythm. But you still haven't eaten. I haven't heard anything about what you eat yet. And what, you know, so far you're starving. How are you alive? A lot of protein shakes, a lot of bars, a lot of apples, a lot do of. Eat, do you eat lunch? Yes. We do eat lunch. Salads. We eat a lot of salads. Okay. So we have have a are you, are you yeah. hungry at this time? Are you finally hungry after your workout? Uh, generally, we'll come home and uh, have a lunch together with the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, Bailey goes down for nap. Still at six years old, she goes to nap. And then... We have an errand, do some things. Have somebody over. Or then someone's here. Or I have to. You guys uh, have people over a lot? Yeah. Every day? Sometimes it feels like that. Why why do you have people over? What's the deal? You just enjoy that? Is that just a hobby of yours or is this part of your ministry? Yeah. I mean, it's part of our ministry is to keep our home open so that we can connect with people. Ah, okay. Uh, um, so you're having faith-based discussions or you're, what are you doing? You're playing checkers. What are you doing? 
Sometimes we play checkers, but mostly video games, right? You guys are into the video games. games. The gorier, the better. Uh, we don't. They're kidding, right? They're kidding. It's, none <laughs> of our kidding. kids play video. FYI, they're kidding. We don't do that. But uh, you have HBO on. Yeah. Yep. We, we might do a family movie MSNBC. a week or something, or summertime, maybe more. But um, yeah, just open our home, have be available to people. And then the TV's off. I just want to make sure people know that I'm I'm kidding when I say HBO and all that. Just so you know, the yeah, TV's right. off. You guys don't have a TV on. It's, Actually, we just got our first TV uh, this year after 20 years of marriage. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm not. That's a question. I'm not saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so. But you guys do stuff like play checkers and have conversations and coffee and you do eat later in the day, right? You have like eat. chicken and stuff <laughs> like that. Dinner is always a big meal that we always try to sit down and have mm-hmm. uh, cool. every night with the family. Sometimes it's on the go, like in the summer, but um, meals together. We try to have those meals together every night mm-hmm. and then kind of process the day and uh, maybe a little quiet time after dinner reading and usually what time do you fall asleep what time does the clark household fall asleep about 9 30. pretty early it's like that's like paper route early yeah (laughs) we like the mornings we're we're early morning people you're the night owl guy i i'm actually i actually had a paper route for five years over five years when i was a kid every day of the year every day christmas snowy in colorado doesn't matter that's why you're so loyal Lucas. july 4th up um july 5th was great because i would get all the firecrackers that people lost in the dark in the dark (laughs) and i would have a huge thing of firecrackers usually they had very very short fuses so i would be (laughs) You know, it'd be like I blow my own hand off, you know, because usually they the fuse went out and that's why they lost it or something. And they thought it was a dud, but it wasn't a dud. So and then I would use those firecrackers to blow up anthills and stuff like that, because that's the kind of thing I was interested back in back then. But um, yeah, I, I, I think um, I think I probably am if I had to choose. I do enjoy the mornings. Um I'm probably both, which is the worst condition to have. Mm-hmm. Because if you, when I get up early, I enjoy it if I got enough sleep. But I also enjoyed getting reading a lot at night. I don't like reading in the morning, I like reading at night and settling my mind and falling asleep reading. In fact, it's pretty common for me to fall asleep reading. Uh, I have a huge stack of books. I mean, in fact, I say a stack. I have stacks of books that I, and I, it's, it's a goal of mine to get through them. And there's books that I only have for nighttime. Mm-hmm. They're only, and uh, so anyway, but that's, this is not about me. This is about you. And it's interesting. Uh, you guys have a home there that you open up to people 
tell us about your Friday night outreach or your Friday morning. It's Friday morning. What time? Uh, usually it's either 7.30 or 8.30 in the morning. Okay. And, uh, and how do people get, uh, get on this little thing where they know what beach you're going to be on? Uh, we have the guys invite others. Um, yeah. So they're in charge of who gets on the list, not you? Right. Okay. So they are in charge. So it's to invite believers and non-believers alike. And then we have a guy share his testimony and share the gospel of those Fridays every time. And um, is it you that's running this thing or is it kind of up uh, grassroots? In I other words, are you, okay. Yeah, I run it, but it's becoming where the guys have, they're owning it and I'm more facilitated than run it. So they, do they, uh, email you the uh, PowerPoint slide and you approve each slide. Is it down to that or, no, or I just pick you just kind of like, Oh, Gary, Oh, it's Gary. Okay. I know Gary. No, I pick certain guys who I feel like are give them an opportunity to open their Bibles and, and share from the word and they have to study and prepare for it. And then, if, and usually at the end of that, when they're sharing if there's follow-up then i will kind of follow up with what they've shared because a lot of them are new to their faith and, and it's their first time they're opening their bibles and sharing it with non-believers out in the public square you know so how many you, people show up uh to this i know it's not the same number but can yeah. you give us an idea of the range of people generally uh six six to twenty guys and they come from all over Manhattan Beach, San Clemente, San Diego. And I, I would imagine that it has to, a lot to do with the person's work schedule and where they live. Mm -hmm. If you're not from California, or actually even if you are from California and don't know Southern California, the difference between San Clemente Beach and Manhattan Beach it could be as much as two hours in traffic as, as a difference because right. Manhattan beach is in Los Angeles County and it's near the airport LAX. It's well, it's about 15 minutes away from the airport, actually less than 15 minutes away, about five minutes, depending on which route you take. Um, and, um, San Clemente is the furthest south in Orange County you can get before hitting San Diego County. So that's very different. So the, the, these are different. Do you have people that kind of follow you guys uh, where you're at in different areas? And so they kind of hit whenever you're up in L.A., they're they're the L.A. crowd. And then you have the Orange County crowds. Yeah, you know, so we're like, or do you have people that are there every time? no matter where it is we have a group of guys committed guys who are every time uh and then the other ones kind of that's pretty up. impressive yeah especially with gas prices you know what it's like Lucas? it's like if you made yourself available to your students you know the ones that would come and they would drive wherever they needed to come if you were saying i'm going to be at a coffee shop for two hours on a friday and you can 
ask me any question you want, you know who would come. And they would come every Friday because they are committed to learning and they, they love it and eat it up. That's right. what it would be like. You know, it's yeah, except time. for I, I pay them, Abby. I, I, I'm finally going to admit it. I pay them. But you guys don't pay people to show up. No. Okay. Now, how long does this last? This uh, 7 a.m. thing. Um, Friday. Well, we just usually go seven, some seven to one, seven to eleven thirty. Oh. Depends how far, how long we go, because actually the guys are competing on those days. So, so you're you're doing this and you're playing at the same time, or yeah. well, not at the same time exactly, but same morning. Yeah. Okay. So is is it the case that the Monday Wednesday thing is preparing for the Friday thing? Yeah. Ah, it's all coming together now. I gotcha. I see. All right. So this is a pretty tight knit community. I'm already seeing this is a tight knit. Now, what about the weekends? What are you doing on the weekends? Are you going to the beach? Are you going to church? What do you do? Uh, we Saturdays. It looks so different, but Saturdays is kind of a day to get stuff at home if we can but generally we're meeting with people on saturdays and uh sundays we are at church on sunday mornings um but maybe go to the beach sunday afternoon since our church is near the beach so that's kind of our family what's your church called calvary south oc calvary south oc that's a mormon church it's uh, Mormon. it's what you know, Lucas. I'm just counting your kids. That's all I'm doing. Well, I had a joke like that backfiring one time when I was surfing. What happened? I told this person beside me who I knew was a Christian. I told him I was a Mormon to see what they would do. <laughs> and you know what they said? What? Oh, I used to be a Mormon and I was like, this is on the surfboard yeah you guys are talking to each other while you're on this oh you're waiting for a wave yeah. i gotcha okay yeah i was like i was picturing you going down the wave talking i was like Wait, <laughs> how's that work all right so you got um you say that there's six to 20 guys are there girls that are coming to this are they not welcome how do you what do you how do you say that the girls don't go to heaven Girls aren't allowed in heaven. Well, this is a young men's discipleship group. And so if the girls were to come, it would change. That would, be, that would actually be the way to get the guys to show up. Yeah. <laughs> but then they might be coming for the wrong right. reason. Right. So yeah. this is young if guys. They come for the pizza. They're there for the wrong reason, but at least they show up. Yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind that a lot of these young guys, uh, some of them have lost their fathers um some of them have um i don't know the right word but father's absentee so there's a lot of some senses you're a father figure to some of these young guys and um so learning how to become men of god as young guys you know, there's all gamuts of that some there's a, only a few who've had great father figures at home 
and they're all pro level guys. Um, so that's a piece of, that I didn't really see coming. Um, but it's really great. I really, I really enjoy it. You know, one guy in particular who he's kind of the Timothy of the group. Lots of guys are coming because he's the current young and up and coming guy. And um, he's okay to share that, but he lost his father when he was in high school only four years ago. So it's an interesting uh, thing to connect these young guys. So these got these people that are coming over your home, are they all young men? Uh, the people that are home are any, anybody and everybody, but the group for volleyball discipleship, that's only guys. Gotcha. And then some, I, I, I've met, there's two of them that are married, newly married, and they're 23 years old. And, uh, we've met one's wife and the other one we haven't met yet, but so we talk kind of relationship stuff with those guys or I do. And they're thinking about signing contracts to go overseas and making sure their marriages are solid before they say yes to a contract without wife uh, approving kind of thing. What do you think the biggest obstacle is that you face? In or a biggest challenge, however you want to put it. In this arena of the volleyball you're speaking specifically or no in life just in life where you're at everything about what you're doing your life your mission what's the biggest obstacle and challenge that you face mm. Ooh, that's a trick question um this one <laughs> well you can do a runner-up if you want you want to answer that I mean, if you got 10, then top 10, I guess, but there's got to be top one, right? Um, I think the biggest challenge is to remain faithful in the midst of such opposition. Um, both in the world, but also Even living missionally, I think, challenges Christians to live differently. And, and some of those officers just need to come there, I think. Say that, say that a little bit louder, Abby. To be for, people in, for the people in back. Okay? Uh, Project that voice. Don't be to, shy. To be in this world, but not be of this world. To swim upstream, to stay focus on the calling and to abide you know, and let all of the ministry come out of the feeling that God gives you instead of your own because we're taught to do things for God and I think you know being married to Michael I've learned so much because he didn't grow up in the church like I did so he wasn't trained to say certain things or hear certain things in a, with the Bible belt um, lens, you know? So, you know, ministry should be an outpouring of 
what God's doing in your life and overflow. It should be the Spirit's work. But if you're so busy doing things um, for God that you forget to spend time with God, you're just going to crash and burn. So that's what we're learning right now is how to balance family, home, quiet, um, ministering to, to God's heart, letting him speak to us while we're so like, we love to be out with people. We love to meet people and, and hear their stories and encourage them and point them to Christ. But that can't be the first thing, you know? So I think the obstacle is to stay focused on what you're, what you're doing. Because there's a lot happening. You know? How do you do that? How do you do that? Uh, I think for us, I think we have to, you have to be intentional. So you make your plans, but God directs your steps. You want to be open, but also even scheduling in times to where there's nothing. It's an intentional nothing. Mm -hmm. Which is not easy. Which is pretty hard to do at times, is to say we're not taking, we're not meeting with people or we're not, so that one, our kids also know that they're of first priority because if the home's not in order, then mm -hmm. ministry outside of the home is not, is not of any validity. So we got to make sure that is in order first. Yes, um, the enemy comes in and tells you you're wasteful, you're you're indulgent, you are lazy, you know, to just spend time with family when you're told, you know, go make disciples of all nations. There's such like power with that like oh you know we, we are to be busy about the father's business right but there, there definitely has to be a balance there and I've learned a lot of that through Michael just saying we need to get some time away you know oh we don't have money for that and he's like God will provide we're going to spend some time as a family and get the kids ice cream and go do something we don't usually do and it's like oh that's, you know, and that's what fills you up so that when someone calls you with a question or a problem, you're, you're available again because you're, you know, you know, maintaining healthy, you know, uh, balance in other areas of your life. You know? So what you're saying is you don't want to be so hurried that uh you got a list of stuff that you're doing and you got to get it all done mm -hmm. and then next thing you know you never spend any time with your kids or i just i just interviewed somebody um whose dad was a pastor mm -hmm. 
this is yesterday i've interviewed this guy retired swat police officer uh violent crime suppression unit homicide crime scene investigator and worked child children crimes he's dealing with all this trauma from his from his time and he he runs a ministry outreach to men where men are vulnerable with other men and um he he was a he's in therapy and he thought that he was going into therapy for, for some of the trauma that he had as a police officer. Well, he is, but in the therapy immediately, he was back to when he was four years old. That's what it went back to his four year old and his dad didn't have time for him. I asked him, I said, did your dad, the pastor ever take a Sabbath? Cause you're commanded to take a Sabbath. And he said, without thinking he didn't he didn't he didn't think about it. he said no didn't even have to think about it now this is a pretty common story i think of people and so i i spent a little bit of time on just the sabbath in the middle of this swat podcast how odd that is at first glance to see in the middle of the ten commandments you know, you got don't murder. This is pretty high power stuff, right? Don't steal adultery, right? And then honor your father and your mother, stuff like that. Rest. Stop. Rest. Mm-hmm. I command you. <laughs> It's so countercultural. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's just, it's, it, it always, I mean, what I f- figure out when I'm taking my Sabbath, mm-hmm. which is on Mondays, which makes scheduling for the podcast very interesting because mm-hmm. I'm always trying to explain. Uh, oh. But I, I have a hard time resting mm-hmm. sometimes, not all the time, but like this past Monday, I had a hard time and I was conscious of it the whole day. I was like, I am having a really hard time resting. And it's almost like God wanted me to just say, yep, I wanted you to notice that. Mm -hmm. And there's no way you would have noticed that if you were just over there checking email Mm -hmm. and reading some, you know, somebody that you want to have on the podcast, reading their book, doing Mm -hmm. something something Mm work-related and you're just supposed to just no just just be be in a relationship rest and Mm -hmm. so is that hard for you guys Mm -hmm. or or is it are you just so well trained that it's easy for you at this point different seasons it's hard (laughs) Yeah, different seasons is definitely harder, but you learn over time that if you if you don't schedule it in, it won't happen. Because mm-hmm. there's all these things vying for your time and good things. They're not they don't have to be, you know, time suckers or waste of time, but great things available. Mm-hmm. But if you don't take the time to replenish your own soul, you have nothing to give and you burn out. Mm-hmm. 
and then then you have to gauge the temperature of the family too okay as a married couple you know how are we doing are we going on dates are we are how's our kids are they you can sense they're off okay so you have to really try to gauge that and, and be purposeful we have a lot of family meetings when we find that we're not in unity. We sit everybody down and we spend time. We have a journal that we get out and we write all the things that God's doing in our family. And it just helps us to slow down and reconnect. And the kids even remember things that we have already forgotten with the busyness. And that helps us to, to rest and just be with the Lord and be with each other. And it's, it's a good practice. I have a friend who has 10 kids and this summer she put a tent in her backyard and she goes out in the tent every morning. And she's like, I've never done anything like this before, you know, but it, and it's really hot in Tennessee at this time of year. So she's very hot, but she's like, I'm doing this. I'm going to make time. And I'm going to rest. And I just thought that was a really neat encouragement. Yeah. What's the second biggest challenge that you face? Mm -hmm. Staying in the faith of what we're doing. You know, we have um, a lot of cultural influences for our kids that we wouldn't have in other places. So that's um, been getting harder as they get older. So, maybe one um, fear of the future, you know, how. For me more, not for him, but you know, the woman wants to be secure. Um, we don't know what our future holds or you know, we don't have a plan. We never have. And we've been on some wild rides. So just staying in the faith that God's gonna protect our faith and provide our needs as a family. And your second i think so yeah because you know it's exponentially growing mm -hmm. this fight against the faith and the kids are following behind you know watching and learning and we're all growing together they are so each year is exponentially getting more challenging every year to keep trusting god and keep walking in the faith um, even though we've seen the Lord many, many times uh, do incredible things for us, we just have to keep staying in faith. We have no reason to doubt what God has done, but it still creeps in sometimes. Our kids are getting a first seat, front row seat to apologetics. You know, they're they're right there hearing all of these. Muslim, Mormon, all these conversations of people. We had a Mongolian a couple weeks ago that had never heard the gospel. Um, Place for the national team. Is this on the beach? 
You bring mm-hmm. your kids to the beach? Oh, yeah. 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 As often as we can, the families, they're, you know, they're with him. So your kids are growing <laughs> up on the beach. Yeah. And then just even in the neighborhood, you know, we go to the uh, pool a lot. That's where people hang out. So we spend a lot of time there, just engaging people in our neighborhood or taking walks and, oh, I like your dog. And how's your day? And just trying to make connections with people. And, and the kids are always there, always listening. Always, sometimes they, talk most of the time they just listen and we talk about it later but they're learning they're learning how to talk to the adults and when to, when to speak about your faith and when not to you know so have you ever had the talk with your kids your older kids yet yes. you already have yeah how do you handle that Oh, God is so faithful. I was afraid of that because um, I wanted to, there's a lot of pressure, you know, to say everything right so that they have a very healthy understanding of what sex is. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, was talking about guns. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You brought up the other thing. I was, I was talking about guns. I don't know what you're talking about. All right guns cleaning guns i'm talking about how to clean them just kidding okay so you this you've already long, done this a long conversation are you sure you want to hear this story sure i uh, mean i if we have parents that are listening to this or young couples and they're frightened of having kids because they see what's happening um if you don't mind sharing how you approach this i think that would be very interesting and to people i think it's also a good gauge of who you are how you handle this mm-hmm. well i i would say again it was really a god story because you know in the in the culture of perversity i wanted there to be a nice period of time where they understand healthy sexual orientation in god's way before learning all of the other agenda but it's it's so in your face that um you know we're the first generation of christians that are having to sort of mesh it all together and that that bothered me so i wanted to to separate those out that was really important to me so the idea of of, of explaining starting from what is good and pure and right biblically before Mm -hmm. you unpack the perverse Mm -hmm. the fallen Mm -hmm. so you start from a place of purity just like you would in the idea of marriage you know there's a lot of divorce ministries and singles ministries out there but you start from a place of wholeness then you can address the other parts as well so that's kind of where we started was let's look at what the bible says about this area mm-hmm. and what god designed to be good and then let's look at like what god designed and how that's when man takes that in his own hands apart from god what that what happens mm-hmm. And we're back. We're back. You were saying. So 
I was praying about a time to talk to my oldest daughter alone. I originally was going to talk to them together, but then I realized that they think different and they were going to have different questions, probably questions that the other one wouldn't think of that were unnecessary for the other child. So um, I was actually at home with my oldest daughter and I was in the room and the Lord told me, go talk to Kate right now. Like as clear, I just had this thought. It wasn't on my mind. And I had been studying um, a book called How, now I can't remember the title of it, How, How Our Bodies Change or something. I found it at a homeschool conference and it was for girls her age. We had been reading it off and on, but I hadn't read it in a while. I wasn't even thinking about it. And I was like, okay. I'm going to go talk to her because this thought came in my mind, you know? So I went out and sat down next to her on the couch and I started, um, I asked her if she would be interested in reading the book with me and which she said she would. And um, God just filled my mouth with, the most encouraging words and everything that I said, I wasn't nervous. <laughs> I never sound silly. This is my first child. And I, like I said, I really wanted to do a good job explaining the beauty and the, just God's design of a man and a woman loving each other. And she was so receptive. It was not awkward at all. And we ended up praying together at the end. And I didn't expect that part because, but, but what happened is it made us closer because I was entrusting her with this information that she was now old enough to, to have. And I think that really built our relationship. And so as always, you know, God blew me away with something that I was afraid of. And when I was obedient and I, and I did it right when he told me, he was already preparing her to receive that. And so, yeah, just like Michael was saying, we just, I just started out explaining, you know, what's neat, what's needed to make a human being, the, the parts that are needed to make a person and, you know, how those, how those parts are joined together. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and then we didn't really explain um, the, the other things until they were exposed a little bit later, like with the guy selling makeup coming to our door dressed like a girl. That was pretty much a good time to be like, he's confused. And this is a sad thing. We've got to pray for people like this because they're missing out on what I had already said, which was God's design and, and you know, even ha having a healthy sex life is still difficult in this day and age because everything I'm saying is opposite than, than it's portrayed in their view, their world, their life, and what they're seeing women to be. So you, you kind of feel like you have to also provide them with the world's view from a biblical standpoint. God's view, but also the world's view. So what does the world say this is? And you have to equip them with that or they're like, you have to acknowledge 
this is not what the world says this is, or they're going to be like, but my mom and dad are telling me this, but this is what I see. So you have to say, this is what is being fed to you that this is, it's cheap, it's loose. If you get tired of your spouse, you can get another one. Um, but this is, this is a gift that God gives married couples. And I wanted to go back to, this is back to the oath thing. I had one thought that I've been saving about the oath. Um, in a biblical context text of what an oath is, it's an awareness of God and his, his hand and his work in bringing the person to you. So when you are aware that God brought this person, it's very easy to stand before him and say, thank you. I will be careful with what you've entrusted to me. So to me, that's what marriage is. And, and that kind of ties with, with the sexual relationship is it's a gift of marriage. And so you handle that gift with care. And that's how you teach your kids about it, is that it's something that you share that's private in your marriage that nobody else knows about. And um, so I just thought that was neat that God gave me that insight that I didn't have before I walked into the room. He literally just gave me the words as I was talking. And it really made us closer and, and bonded us together. And it was like the no deal with the next child because it was kind of the same thing happened. It was like, yes, we're ready to hear about this now. You know, we want to know this, like this is good for us. So that's good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even imagine. Can't even imagine what they're facing. Oh, I mean, just yeah. yesterday. Well, I went to Target. I don't know if you've been to Target lately, but in Irvine. I stopped going to Target when they stopped selling guns because it doesn't make any, the, the name of the store doesn't make any sense now. <laughs> Lucas, <laughs> you're so funny. That's good. Yeah, it, the, the girls' section at Target is no longer, I can't take my kids to Target anymore. It's so, it's no longer pretty rainbows that we can all kind of ignore. It's very blatant. And the, the picture, the girls' shirt on the mannequin right in the front of the store was so perverted and graphic. I could not, I mean, I, my kids were not with me, but I won't ever be shopping there with them again. And I've already told them that. We're not going to be able to go there anymore. So, it's sad. So, wow. I know you can't avoid every business that promotes worldly agendas, but I don't want to read perverted things, you know? Like well, you do live in the world. You keep saying the word the world. Where else would you get your shirts? <laughs> I guess you could make your own shirts, um, yeah. but, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what what's your thought about being in the world but not of it. That's a technical term. 
for people listening who don't know what the word the world means, how would you define the word the world? Mm -hmm. I would say anti-Christ. Yeah, the system around that we live by or live in that is opposite to the word of God. That's what the world is. Mm-hmm. You know, not the 80 something. We are the world, you know, singing songs in the 80s. And I think we are the world. But the world system. Right. That is a, view and a view and belief that essentially that there is no God. And there's no reason for morality or truth or anything like that. Getting yours and being happy. And is this a new thing or has it been around for a while? Nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know the rest of it? Whosoever believes in me. And it's Jesus talking. You know, oh, do you want me to finish the verse? Yeah, yeah. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in the context of what we were just saying, for God so loved the anti-loving world, anti-God loving world. For God so loved people that hated him that he sent his son. It's amazing. And that's what your life is all about in California. Well, it's either it's either it's all true or none of it's true. Mm-hmm. Either it, Either it's going to count or it's not going to count. This podcast, what you do, what we do, it's either there's going to be eternal life and eternal rewards for this or it's not. And so I had a friend who is a non-believer tell me, hey, uh, I want to be faithful to my girlfriend. And uh, he was living with his girlfriend at the time. When I go out to the club, I want to be faithful to my girlfriend. Separate bedrooms, though, right? Yeah, Separate bedrooms. And I said, hey, uh, don't lie to yourself. If it were me and I were you, since you're already living in sin, you might as well just live it up. Because you're not going to give an account for anything according to you. So who are you being faithful to? Because there's no such thing. If you want to be faithful, then you move out of that place with your girlfriend. Go get right with God. And then go get married under the Lord. And you'll be faithful. Until then, don't fool yourself. Live it up. And he said, but you're a Christian. You can't say that. I'm like, you want me to tell you what you already are going to do anyway? Or you want me to tell you the truth? So the truth will set you free. So honor God and 
repent and get right with God and then move out of there with your girlfriend and you'll be faithful. So it's either really counts or nothing counts. And uh, do you feel like God gives you the next step for that man, for example, that you were talking to? Do you think that God would give him the next step? Absolutely. Some firm thing to stand on. Absolutely. If he was going to move out. Yes. Absolutely. Because and you say, you say that based on experience of seeing this? Mm-hmm. And other people or even, or, I yeah. mean, when you're moving away from sin and toward God, it seems like you, it would be unloving if he didn't meet, you know, help you. Could you share? Could you share some details about an experience that you've had that gives you that confidence? Yeah. So here's a simple, simple one. I understand these are real people and real stories, and you don't want to share private stuff. But I think it'd be helpful for people to hear what you're. It. What I'm trying to get at is this is not just a top-down you read this somewhere and uh, you believe it abstractly, but this is a real world experience you're drawing from. So I just wanted to give people a taste of what that is without violating anybody's privacy. Mm -hmm. And do you want it in the context of a Christian or not Christian? Whatever comes to mind as far as like that example he gave of move out. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sound, if some guy just said that to me, I would, the first thing I would wonder is whether this guy is based in reality or not. Is he, maybe he's speaking from heaven, but I would wonder, does heaven care about my next step here on earth? Like, do you even know what I'm going through kind of thing? That's what I would wonder. Yeah. How practical is this is what I'm saying. So here's a simple one. Um, is this a real story? Real story. This is one of my real did stories. Did the guy move out? He did not move out. Yeah. And it ended in disaster. Did he come back later? He did not come back later. <laughs> but here's a real one that has, it's not that type of relationship thing, but um, the Bible says to, talks about tithing and giving, for example. So I'm new to the Lord. I'm in my 20s. And um, I heard my one of my first sermons from a pastor preaching about uh, tithes and offerings and giving. And um, I remember clearly thinking, huh, I, that sounds true to me. According to the Holy Spirit, it's true to me. I'd never given in tithes and offering or any in my life. And uh, I looked at my little budget and it was $200 for that week. Okay. And, uh, and I said, well, what's tithe? What does that mean? 10%? What does that mean? I don't know. But I'm going to give 10% would be $20. After I do all that I'm going to do, if I, I think my bills would have been $170. 
So the pastor was preaching to Malachi saying, test me and see. So I said, okay, I'm going to trust God. Literally put, I put $40. 10% would be $20 of 200. I said, let me do $40 because if God is really God, can I be, can I trust him with $40? I'm still not going to make my bills for that week. So I went to work that day and I said, Lord, I gave what I had and uh, is this really real? Or is this like some guy wanting my money? Or is it just a waste of my time? And so I was I had a valet job at that time and I made like $70 in tips that day. And I was super excited. I thought, Lord, that's so cool. You blessed me with $70 in a day. And you have given back more than I gave. Later that day, I was getting ready to leave. And the lady said to me, hey, my grandson is coming in. And um, can you help me put up a Christmas tree? And, uh, and I said, sure. And I was working at a country club at the time. And off season. And um, I went and helped her put up her Christmas tree. And she's in her 70s. And she's smoking and drinking her tonic on the rocks. And I'm talking to her about Jesus. And I'm putting up her Christmas tree for her. And Are you explaining what a Christmas tree is? What, what Christmas is? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sharing the gospel with her as she's got her tonic on the rocks and her, she's smoking. And um, I get ready to leave and I'm like, okay, God bless you. She said, you know, you're going to really do well in life. And I thought, oh, great. Thank you so much. And I was getting ready to leave. And she hands me $200. And I thought, I knew it was the Lord. So within one day, someone within the tips and the $270 that I gave, I learned real hand, real time that you can't outgive the Lord. That was my first experience giving of money, which the Bible teaches. And I had to know that that principle was true, whether I wanted to believe it or not. And that was a real life scenario that happened a recent, 26 years ago. A recent one is we felt called to leave Viola and go back into beach volleyball world and start ministry. And we left a job. I remember that very well. Cause I was, I have a picture, which is date timestamp with me and Michael at Viola's coffee shop. Yeah. And that was right before that. That was the last time I would be able to have that time with you on Biola. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that year I knew that God was saying it's time to go. And, um, you know, I knew. What, what did you do at Biola? I worked in graduate admissions with uh, masters and PhD students, either for Talbot or for Cook School of Agricultural Studies in um in graduate admissions 
Yeah, and that picture that I have with you and me, I think it's dated January of 2017. Does that sound right? It sounds exactly right. Yeah. So January, so the year before, I knew God was saying it's time to go. And I told her it's time for us to go. And, uh, but I said, I, I don't know where we're going and what we're doing, but we're going to go. But I won't go until, I, until you're on board because we got to be together in this. And uh, I'll wait for you, for God to confirm to you so that we're in unity. And it was up until the end of that year. And then I came home December 2016, and she said, you have to leave. And uh, I wasn't sure what it looked like. Uh, was I going to apply to other jobs? Was I going to go forward in faith and trust God? Or how was it going to go? And so the final days of uh, before I resign, um, you're still wrestling like, man, am I really going to resign here without having position for kids? Am I going to go forward with this? Or is this, is this where I'm just going to become religious? Or am I really going to trust God? How long had you been on staff at Biola at that time? Uh, almost 11 years. Um, I would say pretty close to 11 years. So we were you just, doing beach stuff on the side on that during that time? Yeah, we would just, uh, we'd always done, been involved beach volleyball world, but really ministry in that sense on the side. Mm -hmm. And um, the weekend before I resigned, we went and had dinner with a family and we walk in and we just barely get to knowing them, an older couple. And they said, hey, here's our dog. Oh, oh what's your dog's name? His name is Rezzy. And I said, Rezzy? What's that? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's short for resignation. I'm like, okay. And I'm resigning next the next day. I'd already written my res resignation notice. And... Um, it was just the last thing that God did to show us. Like, this is the way. The Walk dog's in. the dog's name was Resignation? Resignation. In real life. In real life. We laughed. They didn't know what we were they laughing didn't know. at. But we just still to this day were like, wow, if it wasn't clear. Oh, and the devotion that morning that we were reading was, will you go without knowing? That was the name of the devotion that day. It was Oswald I mean, Chambers, January 2nd. So clear. So wow. we're like, okay, Lord. And so we we left. And so you're talking about practically meeting your need. Will God show up when you move toward him in faith and obedience? You know, that was five years ago. And, you know, it hasn't been easy at times. Only because of my own fear and inadequacy to have perfect faith and trust. But we've never not paid our rent. We've never not had what we need um, to be here. And God provides over and over and over in miraculous ways. We rarely buy clothes for our kids. We had three people this last week give clothes to our teenage girls. They don't even know each other. Um, you know, we just watch the Lord. And it's specific things. I just want to say my girls had just said, mom, I need some jean shorts. And we got three bags of jean shorts. And I, I get emotional because, um, because God is 
intimate and he cares, sorry, about every need that we have. And he's fun too, you know, he likes to give good gifts to his children. So he's always provided for us in such unique ways. And yeah, and in the past, I mean, prior to being with Mission Enablers, we kind of lived on the side of George Mueller. Don't ask and don't tell. And then when we joined with an agency, now you're support raising and you're asking and telling. But what you've had to learn is you're really inviting people into something that it's really between them and the Lord. I mean, well, it's a different, it's their level, thing. a different, not level, but different type of ministry because it's very humbling to put yourself out there and say, I mean, God told us, share your story. That's what he told us to do. We know that. But that comes with a lot of people misjudging you or putting their own thoughts about you. And, but you know, God has used it and it's been awesome. But yes, practically he, he shows you the next step. He tells you where to walk. If you're listening. And it's scary, you know. And if you're willing, like I just taught on this morning, James 2, you say you have faith, but show me. Mm -hmm. Go for it or not. Do you trust that God's going to give you that blessing upon that relationship with the girl you should be moving out with? Well, put it to the test and see if it's real. Mm -hmm. And if God is really real and he really does run the world and he really did give you all the hairs on your head and he knows the name, your name before you were born, created in your mother's womb with gifts and talents, then he certainly knows enough to bless you in all sorts of ways when you follow him. Now, is it a prosperity thing where if I follow God, I'm going to get the Bentley? No. It's, and that's what I was going to say. It's not about the jean shorts. It's about knowing that God hears your specific need and meets that specific need. There's an all there in a, you know, when it's very specific like that, you feel like God really is listening to you and hearing you. And of course he is, but you know, when it's that specific, you know, right. It's scary at times. It's like, oh, I need to really be careful what I'm asking for. And you know. Do you mind if I press into that a little bit? It seems like it's just a question I, I wonder if you thought about the whole thing of of living by faith like you are and trusting God's provision. If it did come down to where you're losing the roof over your head, is the attitude something like God will give me another roof over in the alley or something for tonight? <laughs> and then like, I'll find some like half eaten burrito. Um, and that's, I still will just thank God for that. And that's God's purpose. How do you, how do you wrestle with that? I mean, could, because it seems so 
relative as far as <clears throat> comforts and stuff like that. Like I, what, do, what do you want versus what do you need? Do you ever wrestle with that? Oh yeah. How do That's you, how do you, how do you handle that? Well, you have like, for example, you're clearly not living in the alley. Praise God. <laughs> we're not in the alley. Well, our kids but did. We did live with friends uh, when we were in between housing. Our kids were in a, uh, we built a tent in the backyard for them. For five months. Um, so they did not have a roof over their head. For five your months. kids lived in a tent in the backyard for five months? Yeah. I mean, it was a very nice tent with <laughs> carpet and heater and all this stuff, but. We called it the carpet tent. and heater. What kind of tent is this? Is there a- <laughs> Amazon, you know, <laughs> not even like the tabernacle had carpet. We called it. We called it the tabernacle. We called it the tabernacle. They thought Did it you was- have an ark of covenant in there. Yeah, we had a toilet in there though. <laughs> but yeah, you see Harrison people- Ford. <laughs> there have been times where our faith has been tested, and you know, going through this is all before COVID, but before God started dealing with us in a different way, in a new way and testing our perseverance, I think. And are we going to stay the course? Are we going to stay faithful to the call? And, you know, like he, he said earlier, we lost our rental home. We lost our job. Everything was put in storage. And then there was a global pandemic. And, you know, we, we knew right away that something was wrong when that all happened. We had, we were already in a place did, of, did you say pandemic or pandemic? I, I actually was even writing about it the other day and I put an L in it, like even on accident. I, I thought I, I thought I heard an L in there. <laughs> no, we knew, I mean, the Lord told me when they were shutting the churches, this is not of me and it's not for your family to participate in. And so, and we were already, you know, things were already up, up in upheaval in our life. So we were already kind of really like, Lord, what's going on. And so when that happened, we're like, Oh no, 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 this is not happening. (laughs) So. Yeah. And so the idea like is, for example, Let me, just in case anybody's too weirded out by this, I, we do have some Democrats that listen to this and stuff. Independents, uh, you know, they call themselves independents. Who knows what they really are? But um, I, I just want to reassure you that every guest I have on, we do a COVID test, mm-hmm. and I have them tested, and I had you guys tested a couple of days ago, so you guys are good to go for this program, and I feel totally safe being with you without a mask um because my camera is at least six feet away it's zoomed in at least and uh i know that so i'm six we're we're doing social distancing six feet the camera's six feet away you guys um are tested you got negative tests it might have been a positive though i can't i don't know so i just wanted to say but anyway so (laughs) that's a crazy time that, that was, was a crazy great. time. And you guys had the exact same intuition that I had about it. Like, uh-uh, something going on here. Something dark is going on here. So is that dark. fair to say? Is that, was that your attitude? It was, uh, 
I mean, the Lord made it so clear that it was so intensely dark. I mean, we were getting, when we went to Tennessee, they were shutting states down behind us as we go across the borders. When we got into Arkansas, we were not allowed to stay in the hotel because we were out of towners. The government had issued that we could not, no hotels that day from that day forward could have any out of towners stay. In the state of Arkansas. So they locked the door in front of our face in America and said, you cannot come in because you're from California. And I'm like, no, I'm from Tennessee. (laughs) So. But that was. How do they know you're out of towners? It's because of what you told them. We had gone in to get our reservation and they wouldn't give it to us. So he came out to tell me and my kids had to go to the bathroom. And what, who, who. Who who lives in town is staying at a hotel, right? That's, good. That's right. my question. Is what, so, what isn't that the, your entire business model is based on being out of towners? Right. It's kind of like saying if you're hungry, you can't come in this restaurant. Right. Well, that, those are the only people that would be going into the restaurant unless they're going to rob you. Yes, the lady actually locked the door on Caleb and her as they were kind of come in to go to the restroom at 11 yeah. o'clock at night as we've been already driving 14 well, hours. You understand as business owners, if they have any common sense as business owners, they're doing that not because they want to, but because they're afraid of something else. Yeah. Because that's their that's their business and they're losing business. We saw yeah. it in California. We saw Cal- California, our favorite bookstore was shut down. Mm-hmm. And I was looking in the windows at all these dangerous books. Oh my gosh, so dangerous. What a dangerous place. And meanwhile, I can go get a I can go get a decaf coffee. Yeah. Which this is an it's an incoherent concept, decaf mm-hmm. coffee. I can get a decaf coffee. That's mm-hmm. really important for our civilization. Decaf coffee. But books, that's not important for us. In fact, that's dangerous. Anyway, well, sorry. We, don't get don't get me going here. But we would yeah. tell people, so you don't want to let us in because you might lose your job, but you're going to lose your job anyway if you don't let us in because there's going to be no way to pay your check. And then they'd be like, oh. So. Yeah, that's deep. That's a deep point. Interesting. But so we went. They were great inflated in, in economics, I guess. Well, we went over to the gas station. I said, I have no idea what we're going to do, but God will provide somehow. You guys go, we'll go across the street to this gas station. And, um, and it's in a military town in Arkansas. Fort and Smith? So Fort Smith, Arkansas. So we stop in there, they go to the the restroom at the gas station and I'm calling. I don't know where I'm at because it's dark and it's not city lit. And um, I find this hotel and just happened to be across the street, but I couldn't see it because there's no city lights. So I called the guy and he says, are you from out of town? I said, yeah. And he said, "Okay, are you just passing through? And I said, yeah. And he said, come on over. So we went over and I said, you know. Um, he ignored the governor issue decree. Which was were you really cool. were you tempted to lie to the guy? 
We were pretty tired. Uh, I was tempted to lie to the guy, <laughs> but I told him the truth. I and mean, we had license. Like, no, I live yeah. across the street. I got a nice big house, but I really want to stay in your 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 crappy little motel tonight and pay you for it. <laughs> so I get we get in there, and he says, "Hey, uh, he's a, a shorter fella um, who is looks military-ish, and." Um, he says, hey, I have kids, so here's some snacks for your kids, That's and so I hope they have a great time. Don't worry, and they can go in the pool. No one's here, really, so it's it's great. So we go upstairs, and she says, hey, you got to go downstairs. And Did you pay with a credit card? How did you pay? Cash? Yes. We, we, we might. I think we paid with card, yeah. So there's a record of you staying there. Yeah. So we... She says, you got to go down and talk to him about the Lord. So I go down and I said, hey, I don't know where you are with the Lord, but God used you to bless us with an opportunity to stay here because we had no place to stay. And he said, you know, um, this may come a little strange to you, but I'm going to share this with you anyway. Um, I used to be around youth ministry more than 10 years ago. I did. Uh, I was a Marine. I was. Uh, two tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And um, I've just recently separated from my wife. I have three kids. And three days ago, I was contemplating suicide in my backyard. And I asked God to send me someone. And he sent me you. And that was our beginnings of staying at the hotel. So we talked for a while and we prayed and we left. And he texted me the next day, just remember, the Lord sent you here to save a drowning man. And he kept up with us for another couple months. And uh, so what got, what the enemy used for evil, meant for evil of the one hotel God turned to good for mm -hmm. this young guy. And uh, yeah, so God does provide in a real practical way. Even a little hotel for your children to go to the bathroom and have some snacks. That's a perfect answer to the, the alley question I asked earlier. We could never you, tell you. All you guys, you guys, I, I get the sense that you have lots of stories like that. Yes. It's not like you're just going Okay, which, uh, okay, yeah, I guess I can tell them that story that one time, I guess, and I hope that takes the time of the podcast. I hope, yeah. Seems to, to me, I think you're, you're um, holding back a lot. Is that true? I think a lot there's of a lot of stories. We've had a lot of stories. Um, hmm. Yeah. You don't have to say them all today, but we've just seen the Lord. Yeah. 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 We, um, there's no way we write them all down for our kids and for ourselves so that when our kids leave the house, they'll have a record of everything that has happened. You wrote the Fort Smith one down. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Of course. Everything. We always write down because, you know, God told them, the children of Israel, when you cross the Jordan, remember, set the stone of remembrance. So we try to write those down as a family when we see the Lord answer, you know. That's in Joshua chapter four, for those who are biblically illiterate, that's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. 
It's the sixth book of the Bible, the fourth chapter, and that reference to the stones. Mm -hmm. We are told constantly to remember and in our darkest seasons of doubt and fear, we open our We open our family journal so remember what God has done uh, so that we don't forget what he's done when the temptation is to turn away and turn back and walk back in fear, which kind of goes into the idea of like Job. Job honored God, but everything was taken. So it can't be that because you honor God, everything's going to be amazing. Sometimes it's going to be awful. And is that really God? And that's really, I think, what God tested us in 2020 is, do you really trust me when, you when everything's me. gone and you can't do what you do? Is it really me? And, uh, and we saw parts of that Job experience as of, well, maybe surely you've done something wrong because you can't be obeying God if you're not blessed by especially in American senses, your, your health and your wealth, when those things are taken, then what? What do you have? Is, did you do something wrong? Were you in sin? Mm -hmm. Sure. Those of ideas. But then on the other side of that, you know, sometimes following the Lord, you suffer for doing good, as the Bible teaches. And uh every 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 time that's a deep point yeah because health and wealth are two things that to some extent we can control because mm -hmm. god allows us to control that mm -hmm. and they're very popular things to control mm -hmm. right eating what you eat how you work out whether you work out there's huge industries all around that and it's all about getting control of that mm -hmm. to the best you can mm -hmm. for people that want to do that. And then there's a whole financial services industry geared toward trying to control your finances. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's hard for people to get a handle on that because they wonder how much do I have to control? How much should I control? How much does God want me to take responsibility mm. for this? So how do you handle that? Mm. So that's a good question. Uh, I think you do the, it's always. The same answer is as unto the Lord. When you're a little bit too into your health. You know, the Holy Spirit will show you, you know, you're spending too much time on this or. And Abby, you say this, I, I let me explain. Let me, let me describe Abby to those listening. Abby has four kids. She does not look like she has four kids. <laughs> you look like you're in pretty good shape to me. You're very tan and you look like you're very well put together. You look like you take care of yourself. Do you work out? Every day. You work out every day. That's a shocker. Yep, Sunday. Or whatever I'd be day. like walking by somebody's brand new classic car that's spick and span. And I go, do you ever wash it? <laughs> every day. Every day. What? So you take care of yourself. Both of you do. 
Michael looks like a GQ fashion model to me. It looks like he's on the cover of GQ to me. And you don't smoke cigars, dude. Uh, don't Michael, smoke cigars. I probably would have smoked a cigar with you by now if we had. It's been 20 years. Uh, <laughs> you have some chew, though, right? You got some little dip in? No dip. <laughs> no dip? Okay, that's just how your lip... This just whole time, about. that's how your lip is... is. That's how it is. Oh, okay. Well, I learned something new every day. Wow. Uh, some people put the dip in their ear. You know how some people shoot up between their, their toes? Some people put it in their ears. So I want to take a look at your ear there. Uh, it doesn't look like it's there. All right. So you guys both take care of yourself. Um, I think it might be kind of a, a tough thing for people to think about going into ministry if they feel like they have to... Um, <clears throat> not uh well to give up kind of control right over mm -hmm. over finances it just seems scary to me because you're totally at the mercy of whether this other guy is going <laughs> to obey the lord mm -hmm. you know because god's not going to force anybody to That's give right. so how do you how do you deal with that mm. yeah well i think uh it's a wrestling. It's always a wrestling. Did you trust other people to work out for you? <laughs> That's true. You probably wouldn't look so good if you did. No. But this is one area where you can't work out for me. But you can obey in your giving the Lord. Not for me, because if you're doing it for me, it's not under the Lord. Or I can work out under the Lord, but I can't work out under the Lord for you. You got to do that. Mm -hmm. So we're all responsible for our giving under the Lord. Yeah, it sounds weird, but there's a peace because it's kind of like when you're on a roller coaster and you're kind of braced at the beginning. And then when you start going around the loops, you kind of get a little bit looser, you know, it's getting kind of crazy and you're just kind of feeling like the loops as you go around. And I think there's a piece because you realize you're so far into it. You cannot stop the roller coaster. You might as well just let your joints go and not be stiff and hurt yourself, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of how it feels it's like. You know, we've, we've been trusting God for provision. When I quit my job to stay home, for those of you moms who say, I could never afford to stay home. We were a thousand dollars short a month on our budget. What, what job did you have? I was at working at Biola as well in the registrar's office. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I used and to go I, in there and say hi to you and see you. But, you know, God told me to stay home with my kids. Mm -hmm. And I didn't grow up in a, a home like that. So um, this was a new concept for me. But when we quit, when I quit, we were $1,000 short a month. And on paper, there's no way we should ever have any children. <laughs> um, but here we are, you know, and we've always fed them and God feeds them in ways that were just hilarious. It's so fun. Because you you are you are 
watching him do things. And we decided a couple of years ago, we're just, we'd rather die trying to live in faith than sit back and shrink back in fear. And that's what it came to is we're going to believe the Lord and do this. So, yeah. So, and the idea of like control of your health and your finances or whatever the case is, because God provides whether you're going to the nine to five or your support raising, it's still his provision. You, when you go to work at a job and they give you a check, you have the illusion that you're the one providing. You're just deceived. But you're not. It's still God's provision for you both ways. Mm -hmm. He just decides to do it differently at different times. And we've done both. Mm -hmm. uh, pro sports, nine to five at the office, and now in full-time ministry support raising, but it's always been his provision regardless of how that comes. It's just, do we want to recognize that it's him who does it and it's not the job and it's not you going in and it's not the American Protestant work ethic. God helps those who help themselves. It's he's the provider. Are you guys Catholics? <laughs> not today. <laughs> So you're Protestant, but just you're, you're criticizing the Protestant. Is this a self-criticism? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as a, as a, in the West, as a Christian, you know, a lot of things are cultural, you know, you have to determine what's cultural and what's Christian, what's biblical mm -hmm. and what's not, mm -hmm. because it, it, if it's biblical, it should work in every culture. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, it shouldn't. So it always comes down to is God the provider or are you? And do you want to do we want to do take the believe or do we not? Do we want to trust or not? And we all have to do that individually. And the greatest faith step we're gonna take is when we say, Take me home, Lord, we're going. And that's what we're really preparing for is that that time where we give up our own body and control of their body, which we never had control of anyway. So just practice. Well, we do have some control over some things. Sure. Because somebody might be listening to this and go, I guess I don't have to go to work. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get fired. We have yeah. choices. And we, we have choices. That's that right. We are responsible for some. We are responsible. Yeah. Good stewards right. of our finances, of our bodies. But, you know, when God says, step out in faith, quit your job, you know, and you obey that, and He provides again and again and again you, your faith grows and the next time he tells you to do something else you you do it maybe a little bit easier maybe not but your faith should be growing as you grow yeah if somebody's listening to this in the future it's hard to see how someone would have been listening to this in the past but <laughs> Somebody in the future is listening to this and they think, eh, I feel prompted. I feel a prompting to give them some money or give them something that might be of value to you and what you're doing. How do people get a hold of you and figure out that whole process of getting on board with what you're doing? Uh, they can email us. Uh, our mission agency is called Mission Enablers International. 
they can give through that. It's tax deductible. What's the what's the email address? Michael and Abby Clark at gmail.com. Okay. It's really old. So we have really our own old. names. <laughs> but if they email us, we can send us a, send them information on if they want to give or how, whatever they'd like to do. Okay. And then we send out a either monthly or every six weeks a newsletter to folks. Can I keep them updated what we're doing? Okay. And what was the website again? Uh, it's Mission Enablers International. Um, you have our information there. Um, I'll put your email address in the notes to the episode and people, everybody will see it that That's wants great. to see it. And I'll also put the name of the organization. Of course, if they have your email address, then of course they can get anything else they want from you. You guys are on, uh, do you guys check email regularly? Yeah. Like every day? Yeah. Or maybe not, maybe not on the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath. Okay. I could send you um, our family giving page that people go to that specifically to us in a link, if you'd like. Or yeah, you do that. Do Send me whatever I could post up there so that people could go right to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they can give you, uh, what's this new thing called? Bitcoin? They could give you Bitcoin. Bite. Bitcoin. They could give you... Uh, I don't know. Maybe they want to give you a handgun because uh, they yeah. they really like you. We're uh, in California. <laughs> Got to go through a background check, of course, but uh, you know, or whatever. They maybe they give you. They have an old car or something. I don't know. Whatever. They have something laying around. Maybe some old wool sweaters for your mm -hmm. chilly days uh, there in July <laughs> on the beach or whatever they whatever, but. That there might be some some uh, quirky things coming your way. <laughs> I can't predict. <laughs> I, I I can't predict, but but uh, it's interesting, and we we love having you on the the podcast. Would you please um, just uh, close this time with us uh, with uh, just a a brief presentation of the gospel? Mm. Want to share that? Well, simply put, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross, paid our penalty for our sin so that we might be saved, spend eternity in heaven with him. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in, uh, in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So it's with your mind and your mouth that you state it, but it's in your heart that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he paid your penalty for your sin. And when you do that, you'll be saved. Saved from what? The judgment of God. Someone's got to pay the penalty for our sin and Jesus paid the penalty. That is the gospel. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. If you could. You'd already done it. And once you do that, you are considered what the Bible says to be born again in John chapter 3. And all your sins are forgiven. 
as far as the east is the west, you, they're not remembered by God. You're a new creation in heaven. And all the angels rejoice when you make your commitment to God by putting your faith in Christ as the only way and sacrifice for your sin. Mm. And that's what it means to know God. And it's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not by being religious or going to church. Church is good, but knowing Jesus and knowing the Lord personally is how you're saved and you can know him because he made you to know him. So that's a message of hope. Could you define sin for us? Sin is the substandard of the perfection of God. So we're designed, we're created in God's image. We have eternity set in our heart to know God. And if you define it based simply upon the Ten Commandments, there's more than that, but let's say the Ten Commandments, it's fallen short of that that standard. If you pick the first two, Jesus says, if you've broken one command, you've broken them all. And once you've broken a command, you have fallen short of God's standard, perfection. So that's what sin is. And no one on this planet other than Jesus met the standard. And he gave his life freely so that we can be set free from that penalty. That doesn't sound very hateful to me. And when you mentioned the guy coming to selling the, the, the lipstick, uh, someone's thinking, um, because their, their group says this and they, they don't think very carefully about what the group is saying, but they say that you're hateful. But that doesn't sound very hateful to me, what you're saying. It sounds like a message of hope and love. Is that how you would characterize it? Absolutely. Yes, there is a enemy telling people lies. So that person has been following their group, which is men telling them what's normal but the standard is the word of god and that's where we get our morals is outside of us we can't create our own standard so when we subscribe to the truth we're the ones that carry that hope that message to other people who can't hear it so there's a sadness for that person because they're not experiencing the, full, the fullness of God, the abundant life that God offers to them. You know, and if you ask them, they'll even confide in you that they are confused. You know, probably, possibly, yeah. yeah. So, this is the Clarks, Abby and Michael. So, so glad to have you on. Thanks for sharing that what you shared and i'm gonna pray for you thank you lord uh we ask that you would pour your abundant provision on abby and michael and i ask that you'd honor their faithful hearts and service and give them courage and joy protect their children 
and their household. Guide them in their next steps, now and till the end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, friend. Thanks for having us. You bet. Don't give up. Don't give up whatever you do. We have been there and the devil tried to snuff us out, but he didn't win because the Lord holds us in his hands. So don't give up. <laughs>